Hi everybody, and you're listening to the High Session Hawaii podcast, where we talk about everything local and beyond. I am John Yamasato, your host, and joining me today is Kyle Shimabukuro. How's it? Devin Nakoba is on a voice audition and will be uh, joining us later. So he's stopped doing his uh, underwear modeling, and I guess he's getting into voice acting now. So thank uh, God for that. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see him a little later. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, joining us today, our special guest is Roman. De Peralta, who is uh, also affectionately known as Kolohe Kai. Roman, thanks for hey, being hey, on, hey. man. Thank you Thank for you doing so this. Thank you for having me, bro. It, it, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. I know that um, you, you, you're a busy guy. Like, you got a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But before we, we do that, I uh, just want to remind the people that how they can stay in touch with the show. There's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at High Sessions. Then you can go onto YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts and download the podcast. And also, if you have any questions or comments you want to leave for us, you can email us at highsessions at yahoo.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help the show, get more music on the channel, and uh, please go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. There you'll have behind-the-scenes footage. There's, uh, you get things released early, and you can help be more involved with the show and determine what's filmed. want to give a shout-out to Jordan and Henry who are two new uh, subscribers to Patreon. So thanks, guys, for signing up. And uh, I, I've been getting a lot of nice comments about the podcast, of all things. Like, I, I'm so surprised that people listen to this thing. So <laughs> that's good. So, Roman, um, let's start. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you started Kolohe Kai back, in, I think, like 2009, right? Yeah, yeah, my senior oh. year. Actually, yeah, my senior year in high school. Wow. What high school was that? Castle, Castle High School. Oh, okay, oh. right away. Wait, you're 2000. What year did you graduate? 2010. So I, I graduated 2010, but my first song, Ehu Girl, came out um, September of 2009. 2009, okay. All right, well, I guess uh, I'm still too old for you because I actually did some of my student teaching at Castle High School back in oh, nice. I don't know, 2003, I think. So you're still a kid, but, but you wouldn't have, were you, would you have been in advanced physics? Oh no, definitely not. <laughs> I'm not that smart, bro. I wish I was. Yeah, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have had you in my class, but it's all it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. So you taught advanced physics, John? I taught yeah. uh, well for high school. Really? For high school, but I'm not I'm not no physics. Like if you put me in college in physics, I'm not that smart. But, and and I, I I can tell you right now, you ask me any questions, just like my Hawaiian. You try to quiz me now. I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's been 20 years, dude. <laughs> So, I was even thinking like, because I was teaching general science at Kaiser, I taught general science and you know, you got to talk about mitosis and meiosis and stuff. And I, I can't even remember that already. It's been that long. So I know one of them is the way to, I mean, I know it's how the cells divide, but I can't, I couldn't explain it to you already. I'll Uh, tell you after the podcast, Sean, I'll explain it to you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. (laughs) So Roman, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, or at least a, a good portion from what I want to get out of you, because we're going to talk from the start, like how you get started and all yeah, that stuff. Not a problem. But what I heard back in the day when uh, you were first starting to come up was, uh, hey, you got to talk to this guy, Roman, because he's, he's going to make things happen. Like he's a, he's a guy that he wants to be something and he's going to do what it takes to get there. You know, like there's a lot of musicians that, um, you know, they just, 
they they play music and they're there and they they play but there's the guys that really like they have a vision they have what they want to do and then they go and execute right beyond because you're talented you're a talented guy but beyond that so so i want to talk about that a little bit but let's start off so you're in high school you're at castle you're starting to play music and were you not like a band or, or just uh kind of on your own yeah so um well i i had i had a like five or six good solid friends that we would play music every day in our uh, music uh, polynesian music class uh, taught by mrs cone she's a yeah. music teacher there for for decades and so i just started playing with a bunch of friends and uh, one of the girls that still sings with me to this day uh, me and her started playing together and harmonizing together back then singing boys to men songs and covers long before i started writing my own stuff uh, and um, basically we just formed the band and, and it was called one of a kind we did brown bags to stardom and uh it was like this you know at my cousin in the band and we all ended up just forming one of a kind and then um i personally got signed to a record label when i was 16 years old oh, um okay. and then and so at that time, um, I, I, they wanted me to already go on the radio and start performing. And I told them, no, I want to do brown bags. But you couldn't do brown bags <laughs> and be right. a professional artist because it's like going, you know, bass backwards, right? So, yeah. so they, they said that you got to, you know, you got to choose which one you want to do. So I chose brown bags. And then after we um, won brown bags, which is a really a cool privilege for us because we just love to perform. And we love to play and we had such a fun camaraderie. And for us, it was never about competition. It was never about trying to um, be the best. It was just about having fun. And that was my favorite memories of high school was just yeah. having a good group of friends that loves to harmonize. And the harmonies were tight. I feel like the harmonies back in high school were better than they are now. Just because <laughs> we sang every day together. And so I was signed by myself. And I, I said, I, I don't want to go anywhere without my band. So yeah. then they... Um, I told them, hey, I've always been called Kolohe. So, uh, you know, maybe we can figure out a name with that. And then my cousin, um, he he's like, what about Kai at the end of it? Because I wanted it to be Kolohe Boys, but we had a girl. And the girl was like, I ain't going to be in a band. This is Kolohe Boys. <laughs> so anyway, that's how the band got started. I, I came up, I, I wrote um, 12, 12 uh, 11 originals um, for that album. And then senior year happened and Ehu Girl hit the radio that that first uh, quarter and that was it it was just so much fun starting with the band and got a lot of good memories it's kind of unusual because out the gate you came out with original music and you don't hear that too yeah. often with hawaiian bands coming up you know uh -huh. up and coming you know so thank that's you. really that's really awesome to hear thank you it, yeah. it's so much fun i my um i think what happened was when i was young my uncle told me my uncle was real hard on me my whole family's musical and my uncle was always like hey boy when you can play 10 songs in a row, then I go in the kind. I'll give you the thumbs up. And, you know, <laughs> local culture, we're real rough with each other. Yeah? So my, so I, I took that to heart. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write 10 songs. I'm going to go back to Uncle. I'm going to play all 10. And then I'm going to see what he says. And that was the entire album, my first album. And so that he actually made me want to, like, prove him, like, Uncle, I can jam. Come on. <laughs> I was like I was, like, 16 years old. And... Just having good fun and and I, I was from Kauai too so i grew up oahu and in Kauai, um we lived on this plantation called pakala and um wow. this this place was just such a inspirational place so it just fostered that creativity to write and i love to surf and so the whole lifestyle of living in Kauai was what kind of fostered original music to happen so it, it, i have to i gotta thank my family in Kauai for 
pushing me to do original music. So when you played those 10 original songs for your uncle, or even for, your, for you, did you think Ehu Girl was the one that gonna, was going to take off and take you to the next level? Or was there another song that you thought would, that you'd like more? Actually, I had no clue Ehu Girl was even going to be liked at all. Um, I, it was, I had two songs on my uh, list that I thought was going to take off. It was Kiss I Never Had, which uh-huh. was a song that we were on Brown Bags with, which I thought, oh, it's going to be real. It's going to hit the radio. It never hit the radio, ever. Uh-huh. And then Butter- there's another song called Butterflies. And so uh-huh. those are the only two songs. And then when FM100 chose Ehu Girl as the, the radio song, I was so like shocked. And then when it hit radio and it did what it did, I just... Never really expected it at all. Yeah, that's the weird thing about producing music, man, because I've been on both sides. I've been an artist and I've been a producer. And you have these long, I mean, I've had really long, deep conversations with artists about which song we should push or, you know, which songs we think is the, and then like um, songs that I thought, I, can't, I don't even like this song at all. <laughs> you know, that, one, that one might be the one that does really well. And you just never know, right? With, yeah. with, but um, the main thing is that you just get it on tape and put it out there. I mean, it's no, 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 yeah, nothing wrong with yeah. that. And, and back then, albums were the only way to release music. Now, That's singles. Right. Streaming was never an option. There was really no YouTube. There was no way for people to listen to individual songs um, without it being a part of a real compila- you know, compilation of an album. So now it's so easy for us to pinpoint exactly what track we want to, them to focus on. Mm-hmm. But back then it was like it's in the air, and so it was. It was more. I think it was more exciting for us to find out which one was the the banger on the album. You know, it's it's like the ultrasound. You know, knowing the knowing the sex of the baby before the before the thing <laughs> yeah. versus this it comes out. And, oh, it's a girl. You know, yeah, that's a good point. It's a good. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that you um produce a lot of video along with your music that you do. Is that common now for you? Do you do a lot of um, video production to, to promote their song on YouTube and stuff? Yeah, I think um, because our main way of marketing for us, um, it's, it's social media. And that's the best way for fans to, um, for, for you know, promo content to use on Instagram, whether you take a 15-second cut of it or whatever. It, it, of course, the, the music video brings to life the lyrics, which is, which is really awesome. I'm really, I'm not the best director. I, I have a hard time figuring out the direction of my music videos, but I try to stay away from the cliche, you know, local girl sitting next to you and playing ukulele. But, you know, it, ah. I try, try to stay away from that stuff because it's just, you know, monotonous. But, um, but yeah, I love doing music videos. I feel like the kids, they, um, they, parents love to give their kids their iPads to, you know, babysit their kid for them. And uh, the YouTube videos kind of help the kids to like my music more at their young age. So I got to film as much as I can while I'm... What's, your, um, what's the most challenging process for you? Is it recording a song or, or getting a video made for the song? I think the hardest is the... is uh, Wow. It's a tough one because music videos, we usually have a deadline. Mm-hmm. So that one doesn't... doesn't um, allow me to have my I have a perfectionist tendency that makes it where I over criticize my work where one song could take five years for me to actually finish because I'm just over critical of it whether whereas a video will take two weeks and we have no choice but to release it so the I think the difficulty comes for me is is 
um, the music. I think it's for me wanting to make it perfect when really the more perfect I try to make it, the worse it gets. So mm-hmm. that's what I've been learning a lot. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Is the music production, the writing side, I love writing. And um, that's not really the, the, the hardship for me. I think it's the, the, the editing. I think that's where it gets hard for me. Cause I just, you, you can have a song go any which direction and it comes down to preference and taste. And I have to try to find what, what sounds the best to me instead of trying to please everybody's ears and make it where everybody would like it. Okay, hold on for that with that thought for one second because Devin's here. So let me bring him in. Okay. Yeah, no All right. And here we go with Mr. Devin Nicoba. What the? Oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, he's getting food. He's getting food, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, the thing is, I told him to hold on because I wanted to make sure that I didn't interrupt you. Hey, there's <laughs> he is getting food. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Devin. What kind of you got there, Devin? Yeah, what you eating? Tacos. Tacos, all right. Okay. All right that's like salad and um, potato chips. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, Hello, gentlemen. So, Roman, uh, Devin, Devin, Roman. I know you've met before. She's making uh, dinner. Your daughter's making dinner? Yeah. Oh, what's Caitlin making? She's making hamburger helper. Or... Turkey helper because we we're trying to be healthier and eat with turkey instead. Wow, of she's so tall now. I thought that was your wife back there. Ah, I know. She's almost. She's almost my height. Wow. She's oh, that's not that tall, but that's tall for her age. <laughs> be completely mortified when she realizes that she's in the video. Okay. Right. Uh, Galen. <laughs> okay. You know you're in the video, yeah. Hi. So okay. Deb, we were talking about. Um, Roman and, and making because and all the and all the girls in his videos. Well, just the <laughs> <Not> video. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know now that he's engaged. Uh, I know. Only get one now. Only yeah, get one. Yeah, only got one. Get one in the videos now. Can't be any <laughs> girls up in the videos. I, I surrender. <laughs> I, I surrender, and I good I'm man. in love for the rest of my good life. Man. Good man. <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a good thing, man. It's a good thing. I was going to say, uh, when I was thinking about you, you were talking about writing and how much you love writing. And you kind of reminded me, so this, um, this past week, we shot uh, Christian from Ho'onu. Uh, um, he came in and did some, some music videos and stuff. And the guy, like, he has this new song um, that he recorded. And it's, it's so good. It's so catchy. You know, he, he, like, does this, this catchy songs. Like, he's a master of just, like, these hooky type of songs, you know? And I, I think he just enjoys writing too. Like, I mean, I think uh, you guys are similar in that. Is this, it's just something you got to do, right? I mean, it's just something you'd like to do. Um, so how often do you write? I mean, is this something you, do you plan it? Or is it just like, I'm, I'm bored. I'm going to write some stuff down and try to come up with something. Um, it actually isn't planned. I mean, most of the time it just happens when you're in the mood, you're on the beach with the ukulele, you're at the right it, it, I always view it as just being at the right place in time. Um, I feel like I always feel symbolically that that songs were um, they were meant to be written and you mm-hmm. just so happen to be where you needed to be and you're the person that gets to release it. And so like for me, um, I try not to force it with a new song. I try to let it come to me. And my dad always said, you know, a good, a good song, a hit song is, uh, is like a fart. If you have to force it, it's probably crap. <laughs> So 
That's clever. That's good. I like that. I like that. Words, come, words you know? to live by. <laughs> That's very good advice, actually. Because because yeah. I'm the I too hard, you know. Because I'm the opposite. Like uh, man, if 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 we have something coming up and it's like you got, I gotta write something. I I can, I can put something together. But it would be like the last thing on my list. I would do like laundry, clean the dishes, walk, clean the bathroom, and then if I got through all that stuff, okay, I gotta get to. It would be so, like a like a chore. It would be on my list of Dang. things that I gotta do, kind of thing. So. I really admire guys who can just pump out the songs, especially when they're good, you know? It, uh, it's nice. Did you ever I, have um, things like creativity in the middle of the night? You got to wake up and you got a good hook in your head or a good melody and you run down to the studio or wherever and you write it down kind of thing? You have to yeah. get it in your dreams and stuff like that, some lyrics and stuff too? Yeah, especially when I was young, younger in high school, um, I, I wrote a song called Dream Girl. Actually, it was like at one in the morning and I was like, you know, 15 years old. And so we had voice memos on our phones, right? And so that's how we could be able to remember what melody that we, we, we had rolling in our mind at the time. And so now I have 560 voice memos on my phone. Dang. So if I, so uh, it's over time, just like driving in the car, um, you hear something and, or you feel something and, and it's just, it's a, just the perfect sound. I, I never write um, the lyrics first. It's always the melody that comes first. Oh. Um, I, I, I used to try to write on paper and then try to make a melody from it, but it just never felt felt right. So that's how I write. I, I hear the melody. I, I just it feels like a, yeah, it's like puzzle pieces in my mind. Like what notes are gonna be here and there, and and yeah, it's just really fun for me. Who was your musical influences that when you were young? Um, well, growing up, local music was the number one thing that we listened to. So Ekolu was my like inspiration mm-hmm. growing up. Um, I, I was always wanting to, yeah, I love their music. Um, when I was first studying to get into music, their, their refreshing sound, their just everything about it, that positive energy was what I wanted to create in my own music later in life. And so, um, they, that was a huge inspiration to me. But in regards to, um, I don't know, vocal power and and uh, the heaviness, Boys to Men was by far always that '90s R&B uh, scene. Mm-hmm. Boys to Men was by far my favorite, um, the heaviest love songs that I that I really fell in love with. So was Boys to Men popular in your high school and your age grab bracket, or were you considered like? This guy that listens to really weird music back then, because <laughs> the Man is more me and Devin's generation, you know, than than yeah. when you when you graduated high school. That's, that's his. That's his dad's music. Right. That's it. <laughs> For real, that's right? It. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, Kalapana, CNK. That wasn't our generation yeah. either. That was yeah. our parents' music, and yet Kalapana was one of my favorite bands to um, cover when I was younger too. And so it was all because my dad. My dad always taught me. My dad taught me how to play guitar when I was eleven. And so he would teach me the songs he loved. And, um, and then, you know, they always say what's beautiful I love about music is they say that when a woman is pregnant, the baby feels the vibrations of the music that the mom is listening to. And mm. the baby will love the music that the mom is listening to at that time. So your and mom was so, listening to a lot of boys to men then. That was it. My boys <laughs> to men was the thing. And so like, that's why our generation, we love R&B music. We just love it. It just gravitates to us, I feel, you know. That's yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, Jay Ray on the on the podcast a while back, and we were asking him about how music has changed from the time Devin Devin used to be over at KCC 
and one uh one hundred FM one hundred back in the day, long time ago. But how the Thanks. how Thanks. the music how the music has changed from then and now. And he was saying that there's a little bit more of an R and B influence to the stuff now than it than it was back in uh my day with Dev and Kyle, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, yeah. But uh but I would agree. Boys to Men was uh even for me, well, that's a prime high school time for me. Boys to Men. So I don't know about you guys, Dev. Where were you at uh, when they're at well, their peak? Me? Yeah. Uh, it was Boys you know? to Men only. Uh, that was 90. I want to say what? Like, because uh, Boomerang was when you first kind of heard them, and then Cooley High right. Harmony. So it was uh, like 89 ish, maybe 90. Yeah, so we were, we were out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a, I had a, I, oh no, yeah, we were in college, so yeah. I was, I was almost gainfully employed. Um, but yeah, that was the, that was the, yeah, that was the, if I find a girlfriend, this is the album I'm playing for her music. Ah, yes, uh, yes, yes. So, yeah, 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 yeah. ever, if ever. But it's also because even, you know, like with Pacific Blue and stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. performing with them or with H2O, the stuff that I end up moving to is, uh, is all the R&B stuff, and you know they're like, why is this Japanese guy? Why does he know R&B music? I, I, I don't know. It's kind of uh, by by force. You have no cho- You have no choice. Why is this middle-aged Japanese man singing your biggity on stage? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Roman, uh, getting back. So you you do the brown bags thing. You get your album going. Things just start taking off, and. Um, Okay, here here's my big question. This is this is personal. So, how, teach this old man here, old man John, how how things work nowadays. Because see, back in my day, you would have your CD. The CD would come out, and you would play locally for a very long time. And your audience would mainly be the the local audience, right? Because there was no internet. Yeah. There's no way for people in Arkansas to f- hear you. Right. And then eventually you would make your way to the mainland, start touring a little bit, a little bit, and then grow yourself that way. I feel nowadays uh, it's a little different where your CD comes out, it's automatically international. You have these very pockets all over the place. And then you, you kind of build your audience in each of these pockets over time. And it, it's just a, like a massive different way to do it. And you, to me, you've, you're the pioneer and kind of the master at that at that uh, at doing that you know so i wouldn't say a master but thank you yeah well i think come back i think it comes back down to the work ethic because you're making videos you're doing tours you're you know you're doing all these things so how did how did you come come up with all that and 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 become this success that you've become i i really give it up to my first record label that i was signed to when i was younger um, they really saw me and the group that we had together as the youthful, you know, band to market us as the kids that, you know, at to, they did a good job at marketing. Mm. Um, we did This is the Life, Ehu Girl, Kuda music videos. I was really surfer boy and I was in shape at the time. So I was sure <laughs> I all my music videos and they were special. trying to make me the local boy and, you know, all that. So when in back in high school, um, we started getting really popular in the, in New Zealand and uh, in Australia because our fan base just somehow one of the videos on YouTube went viral in New Zealand and ah. um, en- ended up becoming super, it, it ended up, the music just got really popular in New Zealand. And so at 19, we did a headlining tour 
for wow. like 5,000 cap venues. It was all sold out. And we were like, wow, you know, we just graduated high school. How in the heck did this happen? <laughs> I, give, I give full credit to the first record label that I worked with because they were just so good at the videos. And at that time, Facebook just really became popular. And um, uh-huh. YouTube was just beginning. And so like, I have to, I'm really fortunate that I was, that I started music in this time because if we started earlier and we hit our hot phase when there was no internet, the, the scope of fans hearing it in another country wouldn't have been possible. And so right. I'm really fortunate, very, very blessed that I had a good team start me off and then the internet just blew up, you know? Was because, your record label back then um, a local record label or was it a mainland record label or Japan record label? What was so it? It was a it was a local record label called Go Aloha Entertainment. They had um started Rebel Soldiers, OP oh. Pickers. Uh, um, so okay. they, those guys are they know how to, they know what they're doing. So yeah. They know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So, OP yeah. Pickers, Imoa Garza, he's the he's the leader of them and he was fifteen mm-hmm. when he got signed um to that same record label and then about ten years later he became my record producer. And he's the one who oh. actually did all the instrumentation and production for Ehu Girl and Kuda on my, my first album. So I got to work with the OP Pickers on their first, my first and second album. And still to this day, oh, wow. he's my he's my main producer that I work with. And but now I now I have my own record label that I that I do. Yeah. I, I I fulfilled my contract with my old label, and I just like having the freedom to to be uh, flexible to do uh-huh. my own stuff. What do you What so do you normally record at? What do you normally record at? Uh, well, there's three different producers that I, I usually work with. It's Imua Garza, it's Kapena de Lima, or mm-hmm. it's uh, Noah Cronin. He's my he's my cousin who helped me name Kolohekai, but he's the actual original. Um, he, he was a record label and producer for Sammy J when he first came out mm-hmm. and uh, for Landon McNamara. Um, so my cousin, he went to school at, uh, uh, for, for music production. So there's three studios I work with, and then wow. I just a la carte it out so um i do all the we do all the editing and stuff there and then i just upload it myself through an online distribution uh store and boom it goes online goes to spotify and all the digital platforms so it's it's a lot more simple nowadays for us as artists to be indie label Mm -hmm. that's kind of the movement now where all these artists of today are starting their own label under their own band and brand and music yeah and I and I totally recommend that. Um, but but I don't recommend it initially because I feel like the the expertise of a solid record label will help you get your feet in the door, and it will help you get fans. That once you get the fans, and once your contract is done, they did all that heavy lifting for you, and then now you just release your own indie label, and you make a hundred percent of your of of the money. <laughs> so that's where that's where it comes from. Is you know get you know put your lickings in first yeah. learn the business um you know of course learn a lot of things from people who are going to tell you don't sign this and don't do that but indie label is the is the way to go after i feel after you've gotten a good push into the right direction by a solid record label so yeah. can i ask you and john a question on the business aspect of of music right. um back in me and devon's day you do an album, like you know, per heart or whatever, and then you try to sell your CDs. So you go around town, like Johnson, you promote it, and you tar records and stuff like that, and make sales, and then you get a percentage. Then it became the iTunes era where you buy a song off iTunes for a dollar a song, and now it's a subscription-based music. So how does 
artists like you guys get compensated for subscription-based music as opposed to getting paid per CD per song nowadays? And that, that's a really brilliant question because over time, the don't, money... Don't, 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 don't tell Kyle that. Yeah, don't, don't say brilliant, bro. Don't say brilliant. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, don't cool. say brilliant, bro. He's going to get big head and yeah, we can't yeah, have that. Well, it's a good question, then. <laughs> It's a crappy situation with the subscription base because you only get 0. 0.003 of a dollar. So you're getting a third of a penny for every stream. So wow. it's, it's, it's quite horrible. But when you accumulate enough streams, it actually evens out to the amount of record sales you would have made anyway. So the mm -hmm. way I, I view it is um, like back then my album would sell the first album and there was no real iTunes solid at the time. So for a $10 album, uh, we'd get seven bucks um, for 70% of the, you know, 70% goes to the record label and artists. And you know, I, um, and, and it just worked out that way. So you get seven bucks and in order for one fan to pay you $7 for an album, they'd have to stream your song. I don't even know how much times like, maybe 4,000 times and that's not possible really. So uh -huh. with, with buying an album, you got more bang for your buck initially for your fans, but you had less people that were going to be able to buy your stuff. Cause you would that's only exposure. get Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. you think about your, the local music's only going to be sold in the Walmarts and the tower records back then and, and places here in the islands. But with, with iTunes and Spotify, you can reach, millions and millions of fans um and so it's it's really crazy how the industry's changed i hate it just because i don't like how you only get a third of a penny for every stream mm. but um but you got to do what you got to do everybody's in the same boat you know i guess on the flip side the exposure you get off the internet you can then tour a lot of places around the world because of that exposure and then make back the money, right? On, on concerts and venues. Yeah, exactly. So that's where the touring really helps a lot more than it did before. Cause back then the Monao companies, the Ecolus at the time and natural vibrations, they were only going to have fans that were local based that lived in like certain places, but there wasn't able to spread your music beyond the local community. So now with it going beyond, now the Philippines is like, they, they're like they're our number one fan base in the world is the Philippines. Wow. <laughs> and so like that's only possible because um, number one, I'm Filipino, which is helpful. But uh, two, the internet, the internet really helps a lot. So yeah, it's a big difference now. Well, and also too, they say that, uh, you know, the, the important thing is publishing, publishing, and then right, publishing. So the fact that, you write your own stuff is also huge as well, right? Yeah, and that's something I, I really recommend for any artist out there is to own your publishing. And um, when I was 17, about to sign my contract, um, David Choi, he was a really solid saxophone player. Um, yeah, I know David. He, yeah, he's solid. He's amazing. And he was a solid uncle to me at the time and told me, own your own publishing. And so to this very day, I own all my publishing for my wow. music. And this is 50, 50 original songs over the last 10 years. And because of that, I'm able to um, negotiate publishing deals with other publishers because they're like, oh, you have 50 songs. I'm like, yeah, here it is. Because if you don't own your publishing, you can't sell your song at all. Like you, you can be the writer of it, 
but because somebody else signed the paper saying they're the publisher, that's the thing. That's a secret. You gotta own it. So how does it work when um when you don't own your original music and you don't you don't write your music? Like let's say you do a cover. How does the how does you get compensated per that? How does it get split up among the the person that wrote the song or has a rights to that song? Right. So the publisher or the writer of that track, um, if it, it's if it's on the radio or internet, um, they'll from any PRO performance right organization, whether it's ASCAP or BMI, they'll they'll monetize it um, on the radio so that those artists or those those songwriters would get compensated. So if you're a cover, if you're an artist covering songs all the time, the only money you're gonna make is off of the master recording, which would be what you sell on Spotify. So you make majority of the money from as an, whoever is the master recording owner. So either it's the record label or the, um, or the artist, if you're both like me, um, you, you get the full money for the master recording with some percentage going to the publisher and writer from that, but they get all the radio royalties. So they get all the publishing and writing from the radio. So they, mm-hmm. they get compensated. But this was my first cover. I did one in uh, this past February called Speechless. And that was the first cover I ever released. And I was very nervous because I, I didn't know. I wanted to make sure I did everything business-wise um, correct. So, you know, I didn't get in trouble. And so through a distribution company, it's very simple. You upload the song. You put down the writer and publisher. And then they get compensated without you even having to write a check, which is wow. Really, really fortunate because I stayed away from cover songs all these years more because I just didn't want to deal with the headache of making sure I paid them dimes and, you know, nickels and dimes over decades of time, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm very, it's very easy now compared to what it could have been. Your, your deep understanding of how the music business works and, and the revenue streams and all that stuff is actually pretty impressive because... You know, I think when I when I knew artists that were around your age, when I worked at you know, when I worked at F one hundred, like it was a different deal, man. Guys signed uh, music everything. publishing deals. Like you look at you look at somebody like Justin, right? Justin Young, mm-hmm. bro, he signed away everything. He had nothing, he had no control over anything. They were yeah. they were bringing out putting out albums, and he was like, "What is what is this?" Like he'd never even heard of it, and I. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that you you understand this stuff so well that there's no way anybody's gonna get that over on you because there's so many um, there's so many bands over the yeah. years that uh, and Kyle and John and myself we've all seen it where they just get screwed yeah. and I always thought that it was gonna be something that was never gonna be fixable but apparently if you apply yourself um, it you know you can you can make it a successful business so. I, I'm grateful to my mom because I'm an only child. So my mom would literally handheld me through the first few years of my, my business mm-hmm. to help me sure that I was protected. And so if it wasn't for her calling Uncle David Choi, I wouldn't own my publishing today. And I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to re-record my Ehu Girl and Cool Down to make my new music or to make a re, re uh, a revision or yeah. remix yeah. of my songs. So like I have to give credit to the people who helped me. And so that's why I really, I started a record label. And later on when I'm older and nobody can remember Kolei Kai, I want to be a record label that <laughs> helps the next generation to be, be safe. And I can tell them everything they need, even though if financially I could have made so much better if the other people, if I became like the bad people that I'm trying to protect them from. But the point is, is if you take away music, from someone and you make them feel like 
they were in a way prostituted for providing this beautiful music and all they were was pimped out by some you know hot shot record label they're gonna hate they're gonna really feel bad about music you're gonna give a bad impression on the one ventilation that they had to express their feelings to get away from their problems became their biggest problem and that's the one thing i don't want the next generation to get discouraged because i quit music for four or five years more a lot of more because of uh volunteer work but i was just so upset with the corruption in this industry mm. that i felt like used i felt like why did i you know why did this happen you know there's i may seem like i know a lot about this business but Asked me eight years ago, um, I, I didn't know a lot and I, I lost out on a lot of money. And so it really hurt me because I was like, why are these guys using me like this? And because John's smiling. <laughs> I, I've been there. Yeah. You've all I, been I, there. You know? I, I, uh, I remember um, when we were recording our first album, we were on the, um, where I recorded the studio, there's a lanai, you know, and there's a bench chair or whatever. And I'm sitting out there. And I, I had a, I remember because I was having a beer and I don't really drink. So this was a special occasion because um, it was toward the end of the album. So I'm sitting there with the recording engineer. And we're talking story and he goes, uh, he goes, man, you guys seem real happy. And he's like, I just hope you guys stay OK, because I don't think I've seen anyone make it out of this business without a bitter taste in their mouth. And I was like, mm. ah, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I, I remember that that day to like so vividly now in my head, you know. But, but uh, the funny part, the funny part about Roman uh, and and what he's saying is that because I I had the same kind of thoughts, you know, in the early two thousands. And so when we started, I had a record label, and the idea was that we would start the, the artists with with the record label. We would help them out, but as we go, so the the project was as we go through these things as you do more projects we're going to continue to hand off responsibility to you so you can do it on so by the second third album you should be able to do it without us because we're going to be yeah. teaching you this thing and then after that you go for it you know but a lot of artists did not want to to do it like they, they didn't want to take on all that and so i can see where um you know bad bad dudes or bad people can get involved because uh, most people are not like Roman in that they're not going to, they're not going to take the time to learn the business, you know, figure out what's best for them. And they just want to play, you know, and it's mm -hmm. sad, but uh, it's a reality and you can't save everybody, but right. uh, the more people that you can talk to and, and at least put a little bug in their ear so that their antennas are up, I think are, is good. Yeah. And, and even though there is a lot of, you know, there are negative things that happen in business or with music, there's negative things that happen in any business. And right. the, the beautiful, positive thing about music is it's music. Like you're able to create something from nothing and then watch people jam out to it. I mean, like the joy that we have as artists, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And as much as we got into numbers just now and, business talk and bad experiences and watch out for the you know for the wolves there's so much more positive to this beautiful life of music you know it's so worth it and i hope the well, next generation does it instead of get off their phones and stop you know, <laughs> Look at like he's like he's a 50 year old man i hope I this generation <laughs> i hope the next generation <laughs> i know 
I'm like, you are the next generation, dude. I am the next now. generation. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm just so old soul. I'm just so old soul, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, so, so, maybe. so speaking of uh, beautiful <laughs> things, you have your new single, Catching Lightning, that's out now. It's online. You can go to YouTube, and we'll put it in the details to uh, link everybody to it. But, boy, you shot that. Where is that? Is that? It's on the windward side. So is that Kualoa out that side? Yeah, okay. yeah Kualoa Ranch is Oh, beautiful. We, we got to film. Um, actually, I, pro- I proposed to her in the oh, music field. I was going to say, yeah. this, this video oh. is a, is a yeah. proposal video. I, I was watching yes, it like, it oh, is. wow, this is, uh, this is for Ooh, real. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was, was, really, was really my plan from the get was to film a, a special video for my beautiful fiance. And um, Kulo Ranch reached out and, and we got a chance to partner with them to go through their whole their whole valley and it was just so beautiful i'm really happy people like the music video yeah it's, it's a nice song it's a nice video how long did it take to shoot all that well uh probably it was probably the hardest music video i ever shot um and it took 15 hours on a one-day shoot <laughs> wow, to get yeah. all of it done because we didn't see the thing was just to give you guys some background I was waiting for the quarantine to be done for travelers to Hawaii because her family's all in the mainland. Yeah. And so I kept, oh. waiting. I kept waiting. And so the song already came out and I, I had planned the proposal for the last few months and I just kept waiting for the quarantine to end and to film the music video. And so when August 1st happened, that was when I was going to propose and her family was going to fly down and surprise her. But then they moved to September 1st. Now it never happened. I see, right I, see, I see, I see, I see. And so at that time, I had to like, Plan a music video, plan a proposal <laughs> at the same time while dealing with COVID and trying to communicate <laughs> with her best friends and family without her seeing my phone. Uh, and, and then I'm trying to work on it all. And but it was a uh, yeah, it was it worked. It came out came out awesome, and um, the film crew really put a uh, put it together really well. And, and and me and Kat get a chance to look at our proposal for the rest of our life. Yeah, you kind of you kind of did something nobody's done as a like a reality-based music video. <laughs> but my, my question to you is when, you know, obviously your fiance was um, surprised when you did it, but how many times did you have to do it for takes? <laughs> Until she'd be like, okay, is this enough already? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Was it a time you to say yes. did you do it a couple yeah. of times? It's a good question. So I... I was just so excited because all my family and friends were all waiting and they, the sun was going down. So I'm like, the lake is there. We were supposed to, I was supposed to propose on top Chinaman's hat. That was my plan. But it was so windy that day I had to put an audible and say, okay, guys, we're going to go on Secret Island and do it. And so when we did it, the sun was going down. And I was like, I couldn't give the, the video camera guys any opportunity to get it one take, Timmy. So I had to just go for it. And so when I went for it, she had no clue. Like she had no clue. There was no takes we did before. It was just turn around. I'm on one knee and I'm talking to her and I had it mic'd up. And I, I just, I proposed right then and there. And then all the family and friends came out. Of course, it was a small thing. COVID quarantine. <laughs> and, um, and, and so after it was done, we, we, uh, we took like about four or five takes of, of not the audio or anything. That was real audio, but we yeah. just made it so that they had extra B-roll footage of a drone and the uh-huh. ring and all of that stuff so that they could make it you know, special. And I wanted the fans to know it was real because instead of it looked staged, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, 
but bro, fifteen year, uh, fifteen hours holding that ring in your pocket must have been uh, really stressful. It was, it was you know what I mean? like walking around walking around Kolo and you're like oh my god oh my god don't jump the ring <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had the ring in my ukulele case and she went to go put like makeup in my ukulele oh, case I was no. like babe. I was like baby baby I got it I got it here <laughs> <laughs> she, she couldn't see it you know so Roman we we always ask our, our musical guests or actually pretty much all of our guests um Desert Island Disc Time. So uh, three albums that you would take with you to a desert island. You can only take those three. Um, it can be, uh, it, it cannot be a greatest hits album, but it's got to be three albums that, that influenced you or that you would need to take with you. Shucks, that's a hard one because Stevie Wonder's greatest hits album is like, I don't know the individual albums that he did. <laughs> but like, uh. I don't know it because my dad just played the greatest hits album. But um, it, I think I think if I was to choose the the albums I know, was was Black and White? That was an album by Michael Jackson, right? Uh, that was okay. bad. You want the album? The Black and White is Thriller. On. The Thriller album. There oh, you go. Thriller. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. 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 I'd be one. Yeah. And then I would probably take. Back to the Valley by Ekolu. That's like my favorite okay, album okay, by him. Okay. Nice. And okay. then the third album would be... It's so hard because all my favorite greatest hits, are, they're all greatest hits. <laughs> um, yeah, it would probably be the first album from Boys to Men. I don't know the name of it, but... Okay. Fully, Fully High Harmony. Fully High Harmony. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Don't worry. We're, we're old enough that we remember that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it, it's fine. You, yeah, just, it's you just name it and we got it. That's good. That's a, that's a nice little range of, of music. That's cool. I, I got to say, man, I, I posted this once on Facebook and I got, I, I kind of got a lot of shit for it, but I, I put that, um, <laughs> I put that Ecolu does not get the recognition they deserve as being one of the best reggae bands in Hawaii. Hmm. And, and people were like, no, oh, they get a lot of, a lot of um, credit or whatever. But I don't know when I talk to people, they don't, they mentioned, you know, like natural vibes and Hawaii Kane and, and Kapena and all these things. I, rarely do they throw Ikolu in there, but I think I feel like Ikolu is just as influential and just as talented and good, man. They, they, they got good stuff. I think because uh, I think um, Ikolu was never sort of pigeonholed as a as a, a reggae, reggae band. Yeah. They, yeah. they had a reggae feel to their music, but it's not, you know what I mean? It wasn't like natural vibrations is best reggae. You know what I mean? Right, right, it's right. reggae music. Whereas Ikolu was this really sort of up-tempo, um, it, it was local music, you know? So I think people don't sort of put them in that category, even if the music that they played was reggae. I don't know, that's just my personal opinion because I, I really love what they do, but I would never call them a reggae band. A reggae I don't know band. why, but I would, yeah, I would never I, I, equate them as that. I'm not, taking anything like, away f- I'm not taking anything away from the other reggae bands because I think they're all great no, too, no, no. but I just, I, yeah, I don't yeah. hear Ikulu for some reason, but the fact that Roman likes them, that's... Yeah, I mean, Ekolu was so influential to me. I mean, like that, their yeah. music, I think that uplifting little, like that yeah. happy music was what in- inspired my first two albums. For you sure. can actually hear it. Yeah, you can hear it in your music for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think it's maybe cool. it has something to do with that. They're not Oahu based either. So, mm-hmm. you know, they don't tour it. They don't play as much over here as they do Maui and, you know, on the mainland and all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. so, so we're going to take a short break. Uh, and when I say short, for us, it's going to be three seconds. But this is going to be for coming up on the Patreon. We're going to talk about, I have this topic here that I want to get to. It's really important. Oh, it's the news of the boy. day. 
spicy oh, chicken nuggets okay. are coming to McDonald's September 16th. <laughs> I want your all opinion on it. So we're gonna cover. Why are, you, why are you giving that away now? But that's what we're gonna talk to on the Patreon. But you oh, have to be okay. a Patreon. By the way, did, uh, I missed because I missed the first like 10 minutes. Did we get yeah. any new Patreon? Yeah, we had two. Yeah. Okay, sweet. All right, thank yeah. you for doing that. By the way, Henry and Jordan. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so all we're gonna right. cut thanks, that, everybody. and we'll come back with the Patreon. So thanks everybody for listening up to now. Aloha.